You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. names in the Bible mean something. And um, for example, even the name Adam in its historical context, think of who Adam was. It literally means authority. Think of, think of Adam. Was he given authority in his original birthright in the garden? Absolutely. He messed it up. Um, Proverbs 22.11 says this, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Now that's not necessarily a reference to an actual name as much as it is to a reputation. The name Joshua means my salvation. The name Isaiah means Yahweh is my strength. In Ephesians 1, chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about how God names us as his sons and daughters. What a privilege that is, isn't it? All right, that brings us to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 8, you don't need to turn there. I'll have you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 in a minute. But Isaiah chapter 8 is a combination of both a warning and a blessing. It's common for a prophet to do that, you know, to share something with the people of Israel that begins with something ominous. Something bad's going to happen. And then to conclude with sort of a however comma, there is a blessing coming. And so in chapter 8, the very beginning, we see a story, a real historical story proven by even non-biblical records about the impending assault of the Assyrian, the Assyrian king who's coming to conquer the northern kingdom. And the beginning part of chapter 8, it talks about how this will be a, a, a desolate and complete destruction of the northern kingdom. And it's a warning. And the interesting thing is that it starts by Isaiah saying that he's going to have a son. And he has a son, and his name in Scripture, verse 8, chapter well, chapter 8, verse 1, is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. I butchered that. Let me try it again. Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which actually means quick to the plunder. It's a sign. It's a sign in, his, in the name of his own son. And Isaiah actually says, before he can say mother and father, before he can utter the natural words of a newborn, mother and father, this northern kingdom will be under the assault of the Assyrian king. And the, the verses that go on from that explain how devastating that was. Now, that actually happened in about 733 B.C., so you're looking at a long time uh, before Jesus Christ came to this earth as our Messiah. And in, in the, the picture that's painted here, it describes Assyria as the river that just flows over the northern kingdom and just wipes it out. And then he turns the page. He turns the page and simply reminds them that as they fear God in verse 11, that something will deliver them. There will be a deliverance from that. And that brings us here into chapter 9, which is where I want to go this morning. Are you tired of looking at my grandkids yet? Let's go to chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Let's read this together. All right, so keep in mind what just happened here. I did a very quick cursory re- review of chapter 8. And picture, picture the impending doom. Picture the 
the Assyrian assault on the nation of Israel. And then this chapter 9. Nevertheless, I love that word, scripture. What does that tell you? (laughs) Nevertheless, it means something better coming, right? Nevertheless, or in spite of that, or even though all of that will occur, there will be no gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Those are, by the way, those are um, geographic regions of the northern part of Israel, Judah. And, uh, but in the future, he will honor the Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. That's almost poetic. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, these, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Before I read the next three verses, I want you to get your mind wrapped around the coming Messiah. And think of the Messiah as the picture being painted here in verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. We're going to... We're going to go to the next slide in a minute to the verses that I really want to emphasize this morning. But the picture that's painted here I find really interesting because in spite of this Assyrian assault and others that would come in the years ahead to the nation of Israel, there's this hope. There's this coming of something. You know, the word Messiah is not there yet. But there's something coming. And there is a celebration implied by this. There is a looking forward to. There is a better day ahead. You can say that a lot of different ways, right? But the reality is, I'm warning you, Isaiah is saying, because of your disobedience, because of your unfaithfulness, because of, your, of your, the way you've managed your lives, if you will, in all these years, God almost has no choice but to bring judgment. And he will bring judgment. I love the way even, we won't get into this, but even in Scripture there, if we back up a little bit and and even look forward into other chapters, it talks about how God actually uses the Assyrian kings. It's like the Assyrian king didn't decide all of a sudden to do this. God uses them. This is our sovereign God. Uh, Those things don't happen by mistake. Do you believe that? Kings don't just come down and conquer as if God wasn't involved. There is a way, a very direct way, in which God causes that. God brings that judgment. He brings that Assyrian king in there. But he brings in something else, and that is a remnant of hope. I mentioned earlier that the, the son of, of uh, Isaiah, his name here was, i got to look it up again, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, quick to the plunder. The oldest son of Isaiah, who we don't know a whole lot about, his name was Shir Jashub. Jashub. His name means a remnant shall return. And so the sons of Isaiah here in the Old Testament, in this people, were ongoing reminders of two things. A paradox. The judgment, the quick to plunder, followed by a remnant that we know the nation of Israel still be today. So here we go. We're going to segue. Nevertheless, in spite of all that destruction, given all that, given all that difficulty, you know, which the likes of which we've never seen, 
Let's go to verse 6, because you're familiar with it. For unto us. Let's read this together, okay? Can we do it together? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Accomplish this. I was reading a commentary about that last sentence. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. What that literally means is, in its Hebrew origin, it means that God will enthusiastically make this happen. God wants this to happen. God bringing his son in the mission of the Messiah God is anxious. He's enthusiastically bringing that about. Isn't that exciting? In spite of all that history, God, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we've gone from this picture of almost desperation to this nevertheless moment followed by what we see here. For unto us a child is born. Today, I mentioned to you that I'm looking at the purpose or that maybe the subject of this uh, message this morning being uh, what's in a name? What's in a name? Jesus here, the coming Messiah, is referred to in four ways. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When you think of Counselor, I don't know what comes to your mind. Um... You think of somebody who gives counsel. Okay, I oversimplified that a little. You think of someone who has something to offer, who, has, who can help you, right? Somebody who can maybe help you navigate through something. And there are lots of people whose job titles are counselor, marriage and family counselor, counselors. What do counselors do? High school counselor. I'm not sure what they do. What do they do? They schedule kids for classes. They schedule kids for classes, Okay. But a counselor is a good thing, right? Because it's a source of hope. It's a source of helping us get through or navigate things. But that's not exactly what it means, if you can flip the slide, Daphne. In its Old Testament context, um, because of the word wonderful here. Now, when I say, I I, I truly believe my wife is wonderful. I think you kind of know what I mean by that, generally speaking, you know. She's wonderful. She's a wonderful. You have wonderful friends. That's not what this is referring to here. The Messiah's wonderful counselor means incomprehensible and unfathomable. How do you describe this Messiah? He is incomprehensible, unfathomable, and the counsel that he brings defies the expectations of mankind and exceeds our human ability to understand. We should be in awe of that. Should we not seek the counsel of God on everything? How quickly, I think uh, we have a, little prayer card in our inner home. It's up on our windowsill in the kitchen now and then. And it says, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And I think that's so true. Prayer, seeking the counsel, the wonderful, unfathomable counsel of Jesus Christ should be what we seek first, not what we seek last. We should welcome the counsel. You know, if I may, there's an application of that within the church body. As a church family, 
we should be fostering the kind of transparency and familyness, I know that's not a word, that allows us to seek and receive the counsel of the church family. And I hope you feel that in our church, that when you have a need, you have whatever that may be, I'm not going to make a list, that you feel like this church family loves you and we are here under the chief good shepherd to offer counsel and point you to that. I will tell you, anytime you ever ask for our help in this church as elders, we're gladly going to give it, but we're going to make it, we're going to give it in the context of what scripture says, because we're just weak and frail human beings like everybody else. And we want you to see what the word of God says. So it is, think of the wonderful counselor. I like you to think about that phrase in the coming week or two or on the holiday. And in your prayer life, maybe you say, Lord, help me to see the wonderful counsel that you offer me through my daily navigation of life. He alone can give us guidance and deliverance through his wisdom. And this is sort of a paraphrase of what might look familiar from Romans chapter 8. But he causes everything to work together for twofold purpose, the greatest good of mankind and the highest glory of God. That's what the wonderful counselor does. That's what it, that's what it means. Everything works together for a twofold purpose, the greatest good of mankind, his love creation, his church, and the highest glory to God. I wish we could find a way, I'm trying myself, I would challenge you to really rest in the wonderful counsel of Jesus Christ. He is your wonderful counselor. It's unfathomable. You can't measure it. It doesn't run out. You can't overuse it. It doesn't get spread thin because we all ask for it. It doesn't happen. It's unfathomable. It's incomprehensible. And I like that, by the way, right? Don't you? Yeah, there's no limit to it. This is the wonderful counselor. I know we don't sing old hymns in our church a lot. But here's one. I'm going to start it, and you, I want you to see if you can help me with the first verse. What a friend we have in Jesus. Think about the rest of what that says. All are what? Our sins and is that a wonderful counselor or what? What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now, what happens after that? What's the question? Oh, what? What peace we often forfeit? And needless, front row knows their hymns. And needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a wonderful counselor. Would, would you take that? today and, and let that sink in our wonderful counselor treasure that seek that I think that's what we're trying to say here the second part of that what's in the name is mighty God it comes from the Hebrew word gibor or el gibor which is defined as strength power hero warrior. Jesus is El Gabor, the mighty God of strength, the God of power. God our hero, hero, God our warrior. Do you really understand the, the mightiness of God is the question. We, we use the word omnipotent, omnipotent, which is kind of a big word, right? Try, try to teach your kids what that word really means, omnipotence, sovereign, unlimited power, in total control. Isn't that a good message to know, to rest in that? The wonderful counselor and the mighty God. 
Psalm 15.3 says, God does whatever pleases him. And that's a good thing. Because if it pleases him, it's to our benefit. Isaiah 55.11, a verse you're familiar with, it talks about how God's word, when it goes out, what does it not do? It does not return to him void. There is a process there. Jeremiah 32.17 says that he made heaven and earth and nothing is too hard for him. Nothing. Mighty God. Do you know this almighty God? You might be here this morning and thinking, oh, great, you have no idea what I'm facing. (laughs) You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea. I've tried and tried to fix this. I've tried and tried to fix that. And and, uh, I I just don't know what to do. I would would say to you, you need to know the mighty God. There is no limit to what he can do. He'll do whatever pleases him. And I'll tell you what pleases him more than anything is when you seek him earnestly and say, Lord, you're the center of my life. When you're the center of my life, you are inviting something into your life that you just can't measure. It's unfathomable. And so today I would ask you to focus not only on the wonderful counsel of who Jesus is, but on the mightiness of God and all that that mightiness means means to us. The third thing on his name here is Everlasting Father. Now, this could be a little bit confusing because you think of the triune God as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you think this is a reference to Jesus the Messiah as the Father, and that can be a little bit confusing. But if you understand, again, the origin of this, this word Father really comes more in the Hebrew as the Father of a nation. And so it would be very common in that time to, to uh, think of the Father of a nation like Abraham. Father Abraham have any sons so you know that song too you were all kids at one point <laughs> so abraham we viewed as the father of a nation and this is this is the hope think about this this is a this is a uh, a nation about to be destroyed at least in the northern part by the assyrians and there's a messiah coming he's the father he is the father of a nation he is going to bring a remnant he is going to restore. And this idea here of everlasting father is actually technically different than eternal father, father God. Everlasting means, if you look at this, the idea of into perpetuity without end. This is different or forward thinking versus eternal, no beginning or end. This is the focus on the perpetuitous, is that a word? The, the forever and ever Jesus, the, Jesus, the son, will be into perpetuity the everlasting father. This child will become a king who will be a father to the children of Israel and he will rule the earth and usher in a reign of blessing and peace that will have no end. Is that something to look forward to or not? Uh, You know, it's really easy to get caught up in what happens around the world today, whether it's what's going on in Israel or Ukraine or somewhere and, you know, our minds go up and down. Is, Is that the end? Is what's going on? Is there any hope? And we get our human minds can't get wrapped around that entirely, but you can count on that blessing right there at the bottom of that slide. Jesus will rule the earth, and he will usher in a reign of blessing and peace that will have no end. This is the father of a nation. This is what we have been promised, and that's such a good thing. I think my favorite of parts of his name is the last one, though, the Prince of Peace. Every time, I'm sorry, I have to admit this, but every time I think of the word prince, I think of Princess Bride. That crazy movie, you know? Our son, our, old, our youngest son, uh, Eric, 
he can recite almost that entire movie. He did that when he was, I don't know, nine, maybe what, nine, ten years old? And he can do all the parts, so he'll, he'll do the sword scene, and he'll play both parts. My name is Hugo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die, you know? <laughs> he'll do back and forth. I thought, I'm sorry, I can't get that out of my mind. That's not the prince we're talking about or princess we're talking about here. Okay, just so you know... The Prince of Peace, this may be the, the part of the message or the names of Jesus that we really, really need to sink our teeth into. Do you find yourself in moments where you lack peace? Which can be brought on by a lot of things, right? All kinds of conflict that we face. This is what this literally means here in Scripture. Jesus is our Shar Shalom, which means the one who removes all peace-disturbing disturbing factors and secures the peace. Here's a good thing. When's the last time you said, Lord, there is a peace-disturbing factor in my life. I would like you to remove it. <laughs> That's what he does. That's what the star shalom does. It secures the peace, removes all peace-disturbing factors, and secures that, that peace. And by the way, he's the only one that can do that. You can't do that. Your therapist can't do that. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't have one. But it won't happen. You need one? Okay, well, you got one. He's the only one who can bring true peace, restoration, redemption, and reconciliation between you and God and others. And that applies to all time. That's your situation today. That'll be your situation tomorrow. That's always been the way history is. And any time that Jesus is in the middle of it, there's an opportunity for peace. And when there's not, there's really none. It's just that black and white. That's just the way it is. And the reality is that, I'm going to reverse that last statement down there and say it differently, while conquerors in human history achieve through conquest, a bloody conquest, he achieves it through a bloody sacrifice. That's just, not, that's just contrary to human thinking, isn't it? We think in terms of conquest comes by force or by, if you will, a bloody conquest versus the bloody sacrifice of Jesus. What are the applications of this Prince of Peace in your life today? Well, he can be your Prince of Peace during trials. Anybody here got any trials? In John chapter 14, verse 27, it says this. You're going you're gonna to be familiar with this verse, of course. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit from Scripture. And um, which Jesus is making it very clear. You know, he'd already said in an earlier part of the book of John, I'm leaving. And by the way, I need to go. And when I do, you're going to do greater things than I did. I, I, I can't imagine how the, the uh, followers of Jesus would have thought, huh, really? I'm going to equip you through the Holy Spirit, and in, the, in my absence, I'm going to give you a peace. Look, every trial you have only gets to a point of peace through Jesus Christ. That's all the only way it's going to ever happen. You, get, you can apply this Prince of Peace even in the growth process in the Christian walk. I'm going to read you a scripture from 1 Thessalonians. 
That's First Timothy, Greg. That won't work. All right. At the end of the book of First Thessalonians, Paul says this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This reference to sanctification is that growth process that we all struggle with. The Prince of Peace is the source of our growth. And as we go through those times of life, his peace should reign. Maybe you need the application related to victory. Anybody here need a victory today? Romans 16, 20. The God of peace, maybe you should underline this in your Bible, will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wouldn't you just like to get him down there and do that yourself? (laughs) Uh, The Prince of Peace, the God of Peace. And then the last example I would give of that would be from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Do you need peace in relationships? Paul is instructing the church in Ephesus this way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How often do churches get sideways because they don't focus on unity? Wow. It, well, hey, church family, Elevation Community Church, let's don't ever let that happen. Let's make Jesus the thing. Not, I don't even want to say the most important thing in our church. Let's make him the thing in our church. When Jesus is the center, when the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God and the prince of peace is the thing in our church, nothing can sidetrack us. But you've got to believe that, right? I want to leave you with that thought. Our worship team can come back up as I do it. But you, if you can go through this holiday uh, and think about in your marriage, in your family, in your community, in your church, and everywhere you go over the next remaining days of this month, would you just internalize the, 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 the joy that should come by having the Messiah in our lives who is, first of all, our salvation experience is a result of what he did on the cross, his death and resurrection. That's central to that. But then to really say, Lord, today I'm going to look at you as my wonderful counselor. I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do when I start to get antsy about anything, I'm going to say, Lord, you're the wonderful counselor. I'm listening. Speak to me. You're my mighty God. You can do anything. Whatever pleases you, Lord, you have my welfare in mind. You are the everlasting Father, the Father of the nation, the one who will be here and rule and rule and reign this earth forever. What a great thing to know! And then finally, Prince of Peace, would you, Lord, would you plant in my heart today an attitude of peacefulness, so that I reflect that? And Lord, may you be glorified and honored as I do that. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I love how you take this one verse of scripture. And you introduce your son in a way that you give him a name, a name above all names, a name that every knee shall bow to. Lord, a name that is full of peace, a name that is everlasting, a name that counsels us if we allow it to happen. Lord, we, we rob ourselves of all the good things about the way your son is named here in Isaiah. Lord, would you bring that deeply into our being today? Lord, rock us. 
Shake us, Lord, with the truth. Lord, your name be lifted up, and may we just really understand how you desire us to live in the, in the, in the light of this verse of Scripture, Lord. We're not sitting here in 700 B.C. facing what's going to happen with the Assyrians coming and then hanging on to the hope of 700 years before the Messiah comes. You came. Lord, you came. You've been here. You're here today through your spirit. Help us, Lord, to appreciate that and grow in that knowledge. I pray in your name today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.